0: Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today, we're gonna talk about play, P-L-A-Y. You got to play just to make it today, Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, right? There's a quote by Benjamin Franklin that says, we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. This word play has really been popping up in my zeitgeist. I don't even know what zeitgeist means. Um, Very recently, if you're a person who is wanting to reduce your pain, your pressure in life, increase your belonging, boost your purpose, build mind-body connection, and also improve your resilience to stress, you might want to play. And, and there's so many different ways we're going to talk about play, from language to tongue twisters to physical play to children playing to adult playing. I recognize for myself that I'm a person who takes things a little too seriously, and I forget to play. And it was really highlighted to me in this book, Myths to Live By, by Joseph Campbell. I will link to this book in the show notes. But uh, in the chapter called The Inspiration of Oriental Art, he says, There's a curious, extremely interesting term in Japanese that refers to a very special manner of polite aristocratic speech known as play language or Asobase kotoba, whereby instead of saying to a person, for example, I see that you have come to Tokyo, one would express the observation by saying, I see that you're playing at being in Tokyo. The I being that the person addressed is in such control of his life and his powers that for him everything is a play, a game. He is able to enter into life As one would enter into a game freely and with ease. And this idea is carried even so far that instead of saying to a person, I hear that your father has died, you would say, rather, I hear that your father has played at dying. I love this idea of Asobase Kotoba, this idea that we are playing in everything that we do. Because for so many of us, we struggle with grief, belonging, pain, purpose, pressure. And when we use this type of play language, when we realize that you know our loved ones are playing at dying or that we are playing at traveling or playing at work, it allows us to be a bit more detached because we're reframing everything in a playful manner. Versus in his very serious, high stakes, all or nothing, black and white, um, the, the world is coming to an end kind of language. This gives us a more resilient attitude. And, you know, this idea of play also brings a lightness to what we're doing, which increases a belonging when we're in social interactions and we're talking about very formal or... High stakes ideas, whether you're talking about immigration or uh, uh, you know dealing with how to you know help the people who live on the streets, uh, talking about suicide, like it brings a lightness to what we're discussing. And when we recognize that there's a, a, a playfulness, a levity that we can bring into any and all situations, then we we can build that kind of community and inclusivity that we've been seeking versus taking everything that everyone says and does so seriously and so personally that then we get stuck or get into an argument or a fight and it's like, hold on, we're, 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 we're just at play here. Even if you're doing something very serious, there's still an element of, of play. Because remember what play is. Play isn't not taking things serious. Play is actually, it actually involves boundaries, rules there's a structure. Think about basketball you know right now uh, football uh, you know is uh, on television and we're in the playoffs my Bears didn't make it but I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the the, um, the chiefs and see what they can do. Uh, the 49ers uh, um, but anyway th- that's play. they're playing football playing basketball, playing soccer, um, it, you know, theater is a, a, is a form of play, right? They call it a play, right? You're going to go watch a play, people playing on stage. But in every instance, what do they have to do in order to play football, to play basketball, to play on stage, to be in a play? They have to train. They have to uh, work hard. They have to collaborate. They have to co-create. So when we talk about play, it, we're, we're not um, d- being dismissive of the effort and work and understanding uh, that goes into what we're doing. We are, we are recognizing that, yes, it requires structure and rules, and, um, and we take our effort very seriously, but we, we are coming into it with a sense of play. So that we can increase and reduce that pain, because that's the beauty of playing. When, when you're when you're playing a game or playing with friends or or even verbal play, and we'll talk about verbal play pretty soon, it re, it can reduce pain. I think about when I'm on stage performing. There have been times where I've had the flu. I remember there was a I went to uh, London for a week, and I had shows every night. I had the flu the entire week to the point where. If I wasn't on stage, I was in bed, hacking my brains out, going through fever spells, um, just unable to eat anything beyond broth for the entire week. But every night, I got on stage. And when I was on stage, I was 100% healthy. I was in the zone. I was focused. I was killing it, right? But then when I got off stage, I just completely collapsed. So we know that that play and had bringing a lightness to things really can reduce our pain and our pressure, but also it increases our, uh, our purpose to the point where uh, we recognize that we have a sense of agency and a sense of empowerment in what we're doing, right? We, when we're playing, we feel like we have more control, right? Now, I'm talking about play, I'm not talking about situations where, uh, you, you know, you, you want to play but you're being bullied or it's, it's, uh, it's gone beyond play to you got to win. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about play in a sense where y- you're co creating with the rules. You know, as a kid, I remember we would play tag or uh, freeze tag, or red rover, red rover. Those, uh, that that was play. But it gave us a sense of purpose. It gave us something to do, to focus on. And, you know, going back to that idea of belonging, like we're all doing this together. We all know what the rules are. And we all agreed to it. Like, that's such a a beautiful thing. And we see that kids, um, you know, as we reduce The recess time for children, that their uh, depression, their anxiety, all those things are up like eightfold in the past fifty years. Suicidal ideations up, uh, or suicide attempts actually are up threefold in the past fifty years, and and we see, um, you know, a correlation. Now we know that correlation. Is not causation, but we see how much recess is being dwindled, right? I remember I used to substitute teach for LAUSD, and there were schools that had no recess. There were schools that, if they did have recess, it was maybe 30 minutes. And we know that as a species, as a people, we need more play time than 30 minutes. Than even an hour, we need a good three to four hours of play. We need t- to work for a good four hours, and we need to play for three four hours. Now, ideally, you know, from, we can find a way to bring our play to work, right? I, when you think about your the teachers that you liked, they found a way to teach or create an environment that was fun, that was playful, that was improvisational. There was an element of novelty and uh, that you were co creating. They really figured out how to engage the class in a very playful manner. And which, you know, when you bring that type of uh, playfulness to whatever you're doing, it reduces the pressure that we feel so that we don't feel overwhelmed. It it reduces the pressure you feel on taking the test, on uh, running a race. Or, you know, going up for a job promotion or going in for an interview. Like, if to view things as play allows us to be more adaptable to changing circumstances. And then we find ways to navigate the pressure with a more flexible and resourceful approach. And, you know, so many of us may be struggling with shame or guilt. But if we bring that playfulness to it, that play language, right, it allows us to detach from the intensity by framing the actions or situations in a more distant, almost theatrical manner, right? The, and it gives us more self-compassion, like, oh, okay, I don't have to, I don't have to deal with all this burden and shame uh, that, that's associated with whatever's happened I can detach, like, okay, I was just playing. And the beauty of play is that means we get, to, we get to change the rules and we get to start over. If you ever played a video game, right, if you lose, you can start over. The new day is a new start. When you go to bed at night and you sleep and you wake up, you go, okay, I get to approach this differently. And not that the situation has changed, right? It, you know, someone passed away or... Um, you lost a house or what have you. like That situation doesn't change. But now maybe with this new day, with the new breath, with this new moment, we can change our approach to it and, and look at it as, okay, that was a lesson learned. That was a thing that happened. How do I accept it, acknowledge it, and then move forward? Like when you're playing that game of tag as a kid and someone touches you, uh, you're it, but but you're it temporarily because that that when you're tagged and you're it for that one moment, you're like ah, you're so you're so upset and sad. You're like I can't believe I got caught, but we regroup and we accept it and then we keep moving forward. So to bring that same sense of play, like right now if you're if you're feeling shame or guilt or, or you know, going through pain. That just means right now you're it, right? But you're it for now. You're it for now. And at some point, someone else will be it. Somebody else will be going through what you're going through, and, and hopefully your storm has passed, and now you can uh, be of service and help that person learn how to navigate through it, right? Um, there's this book by Stuart Brown, Called play, and I, I really want to emphasize the importance of learning how to play. Uh, it's called play. How it shapes the brain, opens the imagination, and invigorates the soul. Right now, in his book, he he suggests that there's a correlation between a childhood marked by bizarre, absent, or deviant play and the development of homicidal tendencies later in life. This connection underscores the importance of healthy play experiences in early development. I really want you to take a moment to think about your childhood. And did you really have the opportunity to play? To to just roam about untethered? Were there, were there moments like that? Or were, were you kind of sequestered and locked in? And I'm not talking about bizarre absent or deviant play, but I just want you to th- th- Think a minute. Like, what did play look like for you, and what were those experience that experiences that you had with play? Right, because for some people, they had very bizarre, absent, or deviant play. We know that if uh, you know children who torture animals. Now, notice, it's not killing animals or ants, but torturing them. Um, you know, pulling out the, the magnifying glass and and burning ants. That's a that's a way of torture. Like. We're, we all kill ants. Like if I walk through a park, I'm I'm definitely stepping on a thousand ants, but I'm not pulling the legs off of each ant, you know, until they die. Like that would be torture. So that would be more deviant uh, play. Um, so th- play is is so important to us that we can see early on if by how a child plays whether they will develop homicidal tendencies or if they um, are a person who internalizes, then I could see that leading to more suicidal uh, tendencies on, on the opposite end, right? And the the according to his book, the function of play is an activity done for its own sake, right? It plays a crucial role in building empathy, fostering trust, and regulating emotions. Without play, it may become challenging to distinguish between friend and foe, highlighting the social and emotional benefits of engaging in playful activities. And and this is so true because when, you know, sometimes I, I'll, you'll be in a social situation and you're talking to someone and they'll say something, and you're like, are they serious? Right? Are you... Are, like, is, this, is he just playing or is he serious? And you can't tell from what they said or how they said it or their tone. And they may say something in a very serious tone and you take it seriously and they go, oh, I'm just playing. I'm just joking, right? So the more that we play verbally, physically, uh, uh, you know, emotionally, even um, occupationally, then the more we can recognize friend from foe when someone's pulling our leg, and when someone is uh, really being serious, you know, especially like if they're serious about the, the boundaries that they've set or when they go, "Oh, you know what? they're really hurt." It's like, are you playing with me, or did I? What is what I really said um, been hurtful to you, right? So we know that play can foster this trust, where um, you think about wrestling. You know, I took martial arts, I took kung fu when I was a kid. And when you're sparring with someone, you really had to trust that the person was not going to go 100% with their kicks and punches, or, you know, if they had you in a hold, that um, if you tapped, they'd release you. So you need that level of trust, but you only build that trust through engaging. In getting out of our comfort zones, you know, if we're staying home and living in an echo chamber where we're just reading people who think like us and listening to people who think like us, then we don't really build a trust. We don't really learn that people who don't think like us, who, who don't, uh, you know, value the same things that we do, we don't, we don't come to learn that we can actually still trust them on some level. It doesn't make them a a bad person or the enemy. But we have to get out and play in order to do that. And I know a lot of people play video games. And there's actual research that shows um, video game play, if it's action and adventure, like Medal of Honor, World of Warcraft, those, although there's not a high correlation with suicidal ideations or attempts, there is a high correlation with addiction and depression, right? Addiction and depression. And we know those two things together, you know, mixed in with some other things can then lead to suicidal ideations and suicidal uh, attempts. So, but I'm just referring to action and adventure games. Those type of games, they... Can be a very, they're highly addictive and they foster a lot of depression. And it's because of the amount of dopamine released. Those types of video games release so much of the endorphins that we have that if we play it for too long, our body stops producing uh, those endorphins. Um, It's kind of like, you know, dumping water out. And you, you, when you go to grab water, there's no more water because you dumped it all out playing video games. And you have to wait for the slow drip of water to refill your cup so that you can get thirsty again or so that you can feel good. So then what happens is you're, you're playing these video games, is depleting your dopamine and all your endorphins. So then people start taking drugs to try to feel normal. So now not only are you addicted to the game, you're addicted to the drugs and then that can throw off your sleep cycle, and now we're in trouble. Now we have trouble, right? So it's not about this causes this. It's like this can cause this, that, that, and that. And now, because of the compound effect of all those different um, areas, we are in trouble, right? So Stuart also goes on to say that physical movement, um, it brings us a sense of fulfillment. So now we're talking about that physical play again, where it's suggesting that physical activity can fill an emotional void and contribute to a more fulfilling life. I know for me, I need to get up and walk and move and get my steps in and, uh, and, and do some exercises. That gets me into my body and out of my head. So we definitely need it. Now, let's talk about playful language, right? Because... When we're talking about play, it's not just physical play, not just um, uh, you know football or basketball. There's also playful language that we can use, uh, i.e. tongue twisters. Ooh, Betty bought some butter, but the butter was bitter, so she bought some better butter. Sally sells seashells at the seashore. Uh, whether the weather is hot or whether the weather is not. We'll be together whatever the weather, whether you like it or not, right? So we have these tongue twisters. We also have palindromes as a way of playful language where a palindrome is a group of numbers or um, a group of numbers or letters that are in the same order whether they are backward or forward, like mom, right? Whether you spell mom backward or forward, it still spells mom. Mom, dad, wow. Huh, Madam, Rats, Star. So we have these, uh, pal- these palindromes, these, these playful languages that we get to play with. And I love a playful language. And I think that's also why we love riddles, right? A riddle is a question that the reader solves by looking at the clues. All the lines in a riddle point to the answer of the riddle. For example, I have holes on the top. I have holes on the bottom. I have holes on the left. I have holes on the right, but I can still hold water. What am I? A sponge. Boom, right? So when we're talking about play, we're not just talking about physical play. We're also talking about playful language, ways that, that we can incorporate little tongue twisters or palindromes or riddles into our language. And this becomes fun, I, you know, People love a good riddle. Um, And uh, uh, what what was the other one? What do they call it? Uh, I can't believe I'm I'm blanking on this. But uh, but like ironic jokes. Oh, that is going to eat me up. But here's a quote from Plato. You can discover more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. And I love that quote because a, a lot of times when people go on a date, They just sit across from each other and, uh, you know, to eat and talk. But according to Plato, we can discover more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. So if you're going on a date with your significant other or a first date or anyone, instead of, you know, setting up this job interview situation, go to the batting cages, go play miniature golf. Play darts, play cards. You really get to learn about their are they are they competitive, hyper competitive, not competitive at all. Will they cheat during the game? Like you get to learn so much about a person. Diane Ackerman says, "Play is our brain's favorite way of learning." Yeah, I've had so many. um, Michelle and I, we just took a pottery class together, and now we're gonna take a, a glass. Blowing class, uh, pretty soon with some friends we just met. But I- I'm excited. It's like there's so many different ways for uh, us to play as adults, as kids, and you know. I'll leave you with this: play can really help us to improve our mental well-being when we. Engage in new hobbies and creative activities. Right, um, it allows us to think outside the box, to also learn how to express ourselves in different ways. So, for a lot of us, words don't come naturally. Not everybody is a wordsmith like Leo flox You may be able to express yourself more effectively through art, through dance, through music, right? Through all these other uh, playful. Measures or through riddle haikus. I know, uh, uh, you know, the Japanese also uh, are big on haikus. The Japanese, it's a strange way of phrasing that, but um, but I love a haiku. It's like a, uh, it's like a, I think it's 575 or 475 type of poem. Like, I see you today. Today is a beautiful. Or is beautiful. I will see you now. I don't know. That that was that was not the best five seven five. But usually, you'd want to incorporate what you see, what you hear. You you would incorporate your senses into a haiku. Um, and then being more playful, we get to try new things. So that novelty, because when we try new things, then we discover new things about ourselves. We get to discover, you know new limits but we also get to explore and discover new strengths things that were like oh i didn't know i was good at this i didn't know that i would even love this there's a quote in the book um the picture of dorian gray by uh oscar wilde which i i don't want to say i highly recommend i recommend for the beautiful prose like the way it's written the language i love books I, I was highlighting so many of the pros out of that book, um, but uh, there's also uh, suicide and death. Like, so you know, to, to make sure you're in the right frame of mind when you do read the book. But he talks about I forgot I forgot what I was gonna say. The the book Oscar Wilde. He says, "Oh my goodness, I completely forgot what I was gonna say." All right, well. If it comes back to me, hopefully it does. But uh, and you know, it allows us to we can embrace humor and uh, you know play games, play board games. Michelle and I we love to play board games, uh, outdoor sports, Monopoly, Uno, uh, Taboo. But just find ways of incorporating more play into your life and and look at uh, the world with a more playful lens so that we can reduce our pressure and stress, reduce our level of burnout, right, because we're not taking things so seriously. Um, We are not involved in these negative or painful social dynamics, and we can boost our self-esteem, right? We don't want to miss out on these opportunities for playful development. Um, I hope that you found... Some, some way of reducing stress, increasing your belonging, you know, boosting your purpose in a way that allows you to move forward and be more resilient in your life through play, through physical play, through verbal play, through uh, intellectual play. Find a way, find ways to, to view life as, um, Playful. And, you know, I, I, I want to reemphasize that, that playful language, that Aso-based kotoba. I know I'm not pronouncing that correctly. I apologize. Um, but that idea of, like, I see that you have come to Tokyo versus I see that you are playing at B, being in Tokyo. What are you playing at? What are you playing at? And what do you need to play more at? Where can you incorporate more play into your life? Thank you for playing with me uh, on this episode of Before You Kill Yourself. Remember, it's not a substitute for you calling the 988 or any of the eight other 800 numbers. You can chat, call, text. Uh, you can go to thrivewithleo.com for one on one coaching on how to play uh, with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together.